folks, you're in for a special edition of Turntables and Tea. It is our first ever post-Grammy night episode, and we're talking about one of the nominees. A uh, bit of a different intro than usual, but it's the elephant in the room, so I wanted to put it out there, and I think this is very exciting. So once again, I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And I previously picked this this week um, for our month of Super Bowl headliners, <laughs> We will be discussing Beyonce's Renaissance. This was my pick. I did want to discuss it for my year-end pick for 2022, but then Taylor Swift put out Midnight's, and I didn't really have much of a choice. I had to talk about Taylor because I love her, and I don't have that same feeling about Beyonce like I do Tay-Tay. That's my girl. Now, when you picked this, did you know it was already up for uh, Best Album? Because, I mean, we, are, we, we ended up doing this month if anybody didn't realize for the uh super bowl halftime artists as well but were you privy to that in the uh in the list of nominees at this point yes i was heard i was aware and uh, i thought it would be an interesting time to be doing it but i didn't quite expect everything to go down that it did go down i guess it was it was pretty cool for me to to see it on there and be like oh shit I, I listened to that album this week I wasn't as much up on the Grammys as I as I usually am period kick myself in the butt a little bit for that this year um, but also then we'll get more into it but I haven't I went into this Beyonce album not even knowing the Beyonce that I met in this album and then went back and listened to the last two albums and in all honesty I. I wasn't expecting this Beyonce, which is cool. So to see her up for best album was was another one of me being under a rock, so to speak, as far as Beyonce goes for the past couple of years. Yeah, so I haven't followed the Grammys as much as I used to, but my head did pop up this year to see these nominees because once again, Beyonce and Adele were nominated for album of the year. And the last time that happened, there was quite a bit of talk about it that we will address but I was there for all of it I remember at that I can't remember the Grammys ever being so talked about in my lifetime as when Adele won for 25 over Beyonce's Lemonade there was just so much talk over it and I had the unpopular opinion in that regard actually I thought Adele deserved her award but I was in the minority when it came to the internet that was for certain in that case uh so i was very curious but then we had some other real heavy hitters nominated this year we had kendrick harry styles and even some unexpected ones i kind of was odd to be to see mary j blige be nominated at this point to me it felt like a consolation of well we probably should have nominated one of your 90s albums for this but we didn't so here you go I didn't realize she had dropped an album and I saw that and I was like, all right, go on, Mary J. I mean, she still sounds great. I liked her performance, but I can't imagine her giving a bad vocal performance because it's Mary J. Come on. I'm almost positive it was last year. It might have been, I think it was last year that my wife went and saw Mary J. Blige at Baltimore Arena. And I didn't maybe that coincided with this uh with this album, but I I didn't realize why. I know she put the album right after she killed it at the halftime show last year. Heard. There you go. See, it all comes back to halftime. <laughs> it, it did. She did own that halftime show. I, I think that was a pretty uh, clear distinction amongst everybody. It was Mary J. She's a national treasure. But <laughs> there you go. We are 
Yeah, Renaissance was one of the heavily anticipated uh, albums of this past year. But before the Grammys, let's just take it all the way back to before all of that, before any of this nomination stuff, let's talk about the genesis of this album to begin with, because there's a story there too. So naturally, the pandemic made a lot of artists rethink their work. And uh, Beyonce came out of this pandemic. She got very creative, but she wanted to create music about escapism and joy and just wanting to do something that they we really couldn't in 2020 and much of 2021. She wanted to talk about getting out and escaping and just having a dance album, which wasn't something she'd fully done before. She certainly had dance songs, but never a whole album in the genre. And she explicitly decided she wanted to honor this genre's Black and queer roots, because really that's where it comes from. And that was her goal in it. She was specifically inspired by a friend of her mother's who she called Uncle Johnny, who she said helped raise her when she was a child in the 80s. But unfortunately, we lost him to AIDS. And uh, that was really her whole thing. And she especially went into the queer culture on this album, particularly the ballroom scene. There's a lot of elements of like Dragon Camp on this album. She really wanted to do something different. And it was interesting because this was really the proper follow-up to the Lemonade album. There had been some projects in between. We got a live album from a Netflix documentary. There was the soundtrack she made for the live action Lion King, but this was the actual proper follow-up to 2016's Lemonade. So her first real album in six years, and the anticipation was high naturally for one of Pop's biggest names to be really returning to it. And another interesting thing that she did this time was she's become known obviously for surprise dropping her albums. It's a technique others have used, but she went back to the traditional rollout with a lead single this time. And she created another highly critically acclaimed album and another one with very high streams and sales, unsurprisingly, debuted at number one. At the time, it was the second highest debut of the year behind only Harry's House, but Later, Taylor crushed them, of course, because she's Taylor Swift. But she really wanted to do something different. And naturally, she was nominated for nine Grammys. I'm curious, did you hear about this album's come up at all, really? Not really, as far as the come up. I remember seeing the picture of the CD cover. Not the one where she has the hat on, but the uh, just her on the on the horse. Yes. Um, I immediately thought of Lady Godiva, which I, I've read other people go to. It immediately struck me as that. I thought it was a, a strong album cover. Um, but no, not as far as the come up goes, it, it was under my radar. I even said earlier, you know, I'd been under a Beyonce rock. And, and that for me was a neat thing going into this album. Before we go any farther with the album, I couldn't find anybody use the words. But we talk about the words a lot. And we have with a couple of the artists lately. With all of those mindsets and real poignant pieces that she wanted to incorporate in this, would you consider this a concept album? Or I just, would, yes. yeah, a concept album. Heard. Uh, I, I agree. I have to I have to say that it was a very concept-driven 
album at the very least. And I would have to say that for me, it's a concept album. Um, yes. Even if the concept is just a dance album, but it's 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 a lot more than that, as you just spoke of. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the structure, because I think the structure is another strong concept of this album as well. But I was curious to see. I can't find anywhere this album being called a concept album. That's why I thought that was something that I'd touch on with you. But I have to agree. I definitely feel this is a concept album that's been clear to me from the first listen. And a lot of that, I do think, has to do with its structure. Yeah. Because um, for those who don't know, this album is structured as a continuous DJ mix. So there are transitions in between every song. It's meant to really create this cohesive uh, sound. There's a lot of different influences in it, but it falls under a general umbrella. And it is all coming together like a good DJ mix does. I mean, we'll touch on it more and more, but while we're talking about it, I got to say... As far as that concept, that part of the album, that continuous DJ, I think it, it crushes that way. Uh, I, in all honesty, if you want to do a dark drop on this, you could have dropped this in a club and the whole night could have went. And I bet you nobody would have known it was one full album because it hits like that. And it, it, it was it was really pieced together quite well. Not I... getting ahead of us, but quite well. <laughs> Oh, I completely agree. And I have to say, so Beyonce's been one of, if not the biggest pop stars of my lifetime. Heard. I mean, Destiny's Child's first album was released when I was a year old. And we've lived in a world with Beyonce ever since that. Yeah. So I don't know of a world that Beyonce hasn't been a figure in. And uh, I have always found her to be very talented. Of course, she has a great voice, great dance, dancing moves and all that. Not the best way to put it, but I've always acknowledged her talent and her songs were hit or miss for me for a while. I felt there were ones that I really enjoyed. There were others that I didn't so much. But about 10 years ago, actually, when she did perform at the halftime show, I personally really noticed the change in the discourse surrounding Beyonce. And it was, she's not just a pop star, she's Queen Bee. And there was a lot of talk about her that was, I felt too fawning over her, bordering on idolatry and worship. And to an extent that made me uncomfortable. I don't think any person should be put on a pedestal that high. And it only increased with the two surprise albums that were very highly acclaimed. And they had songs I enjoyed on them, but there was just this discourse around her. I mean, when I said, when I would tell people I find Beyonce overrated, people would be so appalled, like, how could you say that? Like, I was asked, like, have you seen the visual album? Like, so many people had to debate me on it about saying that I found this woman to be overrated and it just was on a level that I thought was ridiculous and I feel like her PR team and the media just keeps going with that and then her general attitude at times it comes off as though well you're praising me but I can't be bothered I'm not going to be grateful for it that is how she's come across to me at times if someone disagrees feel free to show me an example or let me know but that's the impression that I've gotten from her. And I've just found something about her off-putting. I haven't been able to emotionally connect with her, I feel like. But 
my interest was peaked this time because I heard she was doing a dance album. I thought, well, that's a genre I like. Uh, and my buddy Felix, who you know, loved the lead single, Break My Soul. And when I first heard it, I thought, well, this is all right. But the more I heard it, the more I came to love it. And I eventually did sit down and listen to the album. And uh, some of the same thoughts persisted, but I have more clear thoughts on it now, I would say. Yeah. As far as, real quick before we move on, do you feel like her stardom and her, the way people treat her and, you, you know, you said borderline on worship or idolism. Do you not feel like that's the case in a share sense or in a, I'm not even speaking for you or like a Madonna sense or do two part question. Okay. And okay. the second part being, do you think that they are more receptive and it is cushioned by them being more humble or taken more humble? Well, all right. I think there are two. Cher and Madonna are both different sides of the same coin on this one. Heard. That, that's why I use them there together. <laughs> yeah. But there is a difference in between them and Beyonce in that I think that they have both faced far more detractors than Beyonce ever has, especially Cher. Really? I Yes, because Cher has faced so many ups and downs through her career. Heard. And just a lot of people saying, no, you can't do that, especially when it came to her acting. People said, no, you can't do it. You're a TV star. You don't have it in you. And she had to prove them wrong. And she has not always had the support of her major labels of the industry. She's always seen herself as an outsider. Okay, that's a great point. That's a great point. And so, and she's open about this in interviews. She always says, I'm not the best at what I do. Heard. And she has never presented herself as infallible in any way. And I think that's part of why I connect with her because she's going to do it anyway. Heard. But she's not perfect and she doesn't see herself as this otherworldly being. Now, Madonna, on the other hand, definitely has narcissistic tendencies, to put it lightly, but she had a really tough come up of it, I feel like. Coming up, there were a lot of people saying, no, you're not talented enough. You, you don't look good enough. You don't have this in you. And she had to really work hard and come up through it and prove the people that she could do it. And it took time for her to do that. Beyonce, I feel like, always kind of had this machine of her father mostly behind her. Because she was in a group, and obviously her father being the manager of the group, he put his daughter at the forefront. There has always been this machine behind her. And I'm not saying she hasn't faced adversity in her life. I'm sure that she has, and I don't know her whole life. I can't speak on it. I'm not an expert on the woman, but there has always been an industry machine behind her. And then... She marries one of the most successful people on the planet, Jay-Z, and that just escalates. There's always been a machine behind her that I'm sure at times has failed her and talked about her badly, but I don't think that she's had to come up in the way others have. At least that's not the impression that I'm under. Heard. But 
No, I was curious. I was curious. And, and you know, bottom line there, you can see that the humility inside of the artist really means a lot to you. And I can see where you're I can see where you're coming from on it. I love to play devil's advocate on stuff like this because <laughs> I, I, I find it fascinating. I, I love to, to hear the opinions. I would have to I would have to agree with you as from what I know of Beyonce, um, especially back then. I would have to agree. You, you, you're very correct in the fact that she had a very, at the very least, a very supportive system, if not inside of a grooming system from an early standpoint in life. Yeah, of course, you know, she's seen her shit. I might disagree, and this is for another time, but I think Jay-Z more married into her than she married into Jay-Z. I think that was more of a transition for him. Um, I don't know who got more out of it as far as the machine, but I always I always took it as Jay-Z sort of toning it down and respecting that system because he was infatuated with her. Then again, I'm a hopeless romantic in that sense, too. So, you know, that's what I always chose to believe. But from what I could see back then, good old Hova had to take a little step back on that one and. Uh, and that's that's how I always took it. Again, that's for another time. But again, thank you for that because I, I, I'm just interested. You being such a, a fan of one person, I, I had to ask that question. And what a great answer! Yes, and in the case of Jay Z, I see what you're saying. But at the same time, I do think that by the time they married in '08, he was the more established star and taken seriously as like a all time hip-hop great Beyonce was still kind of in a way I think on her way up to be considered a legend like she is now that's a good point too Jay-Z was sort I won't say he was done by any sense but he no. was he had reached a, a pinnacle inside of his career that Beyonce might not have at that point yet or, or hadn't at that point yet I totally agree with you there though she hadn't and getting back the renaissance some would say this is a pinnacle some have I said this is her best album as a concept album. It's tough. And, and again, I go back to, I'll tell you right now, my, where Beyonce was in my head when I sat down to this and I, I'll, I'll say this at the risk of sounding foolish, but she was in a stasis of all the single ladies in my head. That, that is Beyonce for me, you know, or, or the last real piece of Beyonce that had stuck with me. Now, uh, you know, people are going to be like, what are you talking about? You listen to the albums, talk about them. But this, you know, it wasn't in my wheelhouse. Um, I've always respected her as a star, but that's where she was in my head. Um, so being listening to this album, and I listened to the last two previous albums as well, just because I was doing a dive and I was actually pretty surprised of how much I had missed of it. I don't know if you can say this is the best Beyonce album. It's a, it's a, it's an insane album. But it's a concept album. So can you really say, like, it's, that's a huge, huge undertaking to say that this is her best album. Okay. <laughs> I mean, would you? do you think, it, it, it's I, apples and oranges. I was going to say, do you think Taylor's Midnight's was her best album? Oh, no, not at all. But it was a fucking solid A-plus concept solid album. Solid concept you know? album, but no, not at all. But as for this, I'm... I honestly didn't hear the entire self-titled album and Lemonade didn't do it for me. I could certainly try it again. I thought it was just okay. Heard. But this is, I have a feeling this is probably as much as I would enjoy a Beyonce album in full. Heard. 
uh, just considering my own feelings about the artist and uh, I don't think it's entirely ignorant of you to say that single ladies was where she was for you because that was really the last time she was a full-on pop star making hits she hasn't as much with these last things I don't think it was really her aim I grew up with her you know what I'm saying like yeah I remember from Destiny's Child on to that her career inside of there yeah it's a far cry from what I hear here and that was it was a it was a blow to the head like holy what the what no, these songs, the singles here have been her biggest pop hits in a long, long time, actually. Heard, heard that. And uh, I think that's saying some, and some of that has to do with the sound of the album, certainly. But, oh boy, we've been going on for a while here. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about on this album. And, I, and it, this it's not going to be a clear cookie cutter podcast for us tonight because there's so much this album i'll go out and one of the ones that i thought of while i was listening to it this album is almost like at points like a crowded dance floor uh and i'll use that that analogy here because there's so much on this album there's so many people on this album there's so many thought processes on this album there's so many call outs on this album that it can get crowded uh, especially in conversation great. yeah you know it, it, especially in conversation on it uh period so this this ain't going to be a cookie cutter episode everybody but we got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about oh yes we do and uh, at this point i'm ready to dive in and go track by track before we debate whether or not before we debate it's award award worthiness i'm just kind of ready to dive in and talk about these 16 songs done as a continuous dj mix that are renaissance well before we start i'm going to say one quote i found that i'd like everybody to keep in their head uh while we listen to this and it was robin moat um of okay players an intergenerational musical exchange that landed like a cultural comet tag that poke poke that up there put it on the board because that's it's a it's a very awesome way to sum up all the craziness that we're about to get into yeah because there's a lot so fasten your seatbelts we've got a lot to do here with renaissance 16 whole songs of this so let's go let's do it Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So our album begins with I'm That Girl. Um, This song samples Still Pimpin' by Tommy Wright III. It's produced mostly by Mike Dean and Kelman Duran. I'm going to mention main producers because there's a lot of co-producers and all that and writers and that's too much. To, I'm not listing it off because that's just a waste of time. But uh, anyway, this is the starter of the album and... Uh, Beyonce stating she's that girl and uh, I mean that's kind of fitting for her that's kind of the vibe of her music she very much likes to present herself as that girl a lot of the time I think that's been a consistent theme for her career I think here she's more so trying to put that on to her listeners as well particularly a target audience but I don't think we're quite there yet but uh for me this is mostly just 
a solid introduction to the album until the last minute, when she starts going off about that 92 DeVille and all that. That's when I really feel this album begins and I hear, okay, we're in for a journey here. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. This is an insane introductory track. It's an intro track. And really, I mean, you get that bass beat right off the jump. You get that offbeatness of it and it's super alluring. But I wholeheartedly agree with you. Until we get to that tweaking line at two minutes and 24, we, at that point, in my opinion, get this beautiful crescendo of Beyonce. And for me, again, I'm glad that we talked about where my mind was because inside of the intro track, I automatically get a true classic Beyonce feel in this crescendo. In that verse that you were talking about that runs from 224 on, that's Beyonce and then she takes a deep breath and that beat hits back and we go on from this intro track I also I I dig what you're saying of her saying it's me and she does she has she has a tendency to do that in her music but if we're gonna look at or let's look at this as a concept album and she was talking about being in quarantine and looking for a place to scream out and escape and all of that starts with ourselves if we're looking to do that so i think it was cool to see her even throw it back i think there's a lot of genius on this and i don't know if i'm giving the benefit of the doubt and overextending throughout this because i want it to be but i think that's a neat a really neat thing to throw it back to your older version of yourself so to speak in this verse that we're talking about um and also state yourself in the intro track i thought that was that was pretty cool I, I would think it was intentional because she, you're correct, it does kind of start with us loving ourselves. And we, as we get further into the album, we will see more so that she is in favor of that, even in spite of our flaws. Heard. And I think that's a theme that we get more clearly further down the line here. But you're not going to quite get that from this first track. It makes a lot more sense once we're much further down the line. It does. I think. But uh, we get a really nice transition to our second song, Cozy, which, uh, again, right here even, I think the first track is boring, clear because she's talking about how she's comfortable with who she is. She's cozy with who she is, comfortable in her skin. And, like, she's good with that. And uh, this is one of the interesting songs to mention I think because the producer of this is a transgender woman named Honey Dijon I first heard of her for remixing a Madonna song a few years ago but it's a good empowerment anthem and it has a few samples the most notable is a spoken word excerpt from a song called Bitch on Back by Tease Madison and uh, I just I think this song's kind of laid back in a way in comparison to what we'll get later certainly but She's just saying like, yeah, this is me. And it's not braggadocious at all. It's just like, I am comfortable with where I'm at, good with my skin. And that's what matters. And I think that is uh, the message she's trying to put on to, particularly in this track and many of the queer audience listening to it. I think she's, I think it's kind of her way of saying like, you're, you can be cozy with who you are. At least that's how I take it. That's a cool way to take it. I didn't realize that there was any queer undertones um, as far as where she was looking for for inspiration or for what she was talking about until after 
I got through and went back and looked at who was on this album and and her talking about it and and whatnot. Um, empowerment anthem is an awesome awesome set of words for this. It really is an empowerment anthem, and I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said that it is laid back. It's it, it's such a cool. I'll use your word juxtaposition between this cool laid back track and this super powerful way of saying hell yeah be yourself be cozy in yourself um on top of that it's a crazy ass house track like it is a hell of a house track the beats the beats are extravagant and i love that and in my notes i had that the extravagance of the beats especially towards the end of this track are like super swaggy and that reminded me of beyonce um, so I'm still, you know, I'm still getting her, which I love, it, you know, it's your album and that's your, your escapism thought process. I want to feel you on every track and I have so far and I really enjoyed that. Um, and of course, this is the first realization for me, not knowing that here we go on a wild nonstop ride, you know, where I had to be like, holy shit, are we on track number two? Okay. Oh wow, that's a that's how we're gonna do this, Beyonce. We're gonna do a full on, straight segued album. I love it. Let's go. I really enjoyed that. I my one line in this that I'm curious about, and who knows if it's real, but she says I suggest you don't fuck with my sis, and I automatically thought of her sister beating up Jay-Z in that fucking elevator. So I, always, <laughs> I, I, I forgot wondered. about that until right now. So I always wondered every time I listened to the song, I was like, I wonder if she's talking about that moment. But that's just one of my one of my crazy thoughts as I went through this. All in all, cozy second track. Great way to come in. I enjoyed this track. So did I. First listen, it was a bit F for me, but the more I've heard it, the more I've come to like it. But the next song was an immediate grabber for me on the first listen. We get a transition. That's cool. And uh, we are into our third track, the song that infamously has 24 credited writers, Alien Superstar. I first heard of a song having 24 writers because Diane Warren, songwriter extraordinaire, tweeted how does a song have 24 writers and of course certain people got upset about it she kind of has a point i'm not gonna lie but because this song has so many samples in it and despite all these samples it all comes together so beautifully i absolutely love this song so the most noticeable sample, I didn't even fully realize it at first because she switches it up so much, is the interpolation of I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred, but it becomes I'm Too Classy. And love that energy. She's not just, no, we're not just saying I'm too sexy, I'm too classy. I am it. And uh, this song, she actually is taking on the role of like the MC of one of these drag ballroom shows, like Crystal, Champagne, On the Bar, whatever it is, kind of. And uh, the, I just love the overall message of this. She's not just saying, I'm too classy, it's unique. That's what you are, alien superstar. And I really resonate with that because I know in my life, there have been many times that I just felt different from everybody. I felt like I've never fit in. I feel like I'm just not like anybody else and I struggle to feel accepted. But she's saying like, embrace that uniqueness. Like, yeah, they might see you as an alien, but no, you're an alien superstar. 
And I just love that. That just speaks to me so deeply. And there's one portion of it that I love. It's a sample of a speech called Black Theater from Barbara Antier, where she says, we dress a certain way, we talk a certain way. And obviously that's referring to Black Theater, not to me, but really she's saying like, we do everything in a way unique to us. And I just think it all comes together so beautifully. And uh, I just, I love this song so much. It's definitely a top song on here for me. And one of the reasons I wanted to discuss this album in the first place was because I liked this song and so much. Yeah, it, it is a neat song and it does come together well. That right said Fred, I'm, uh, I'm too sexy in the background is a perfect example for me of the genius inside this album as far as pertaining to the subconscious listener there's so much beautiful sampling going on here that myself after the first listen before i went back into uh you know diving in had to like pull up old songs and be like i knew that was in there this i didn't figure this one out but there's later on in the album there's some stuff that i automatically went back to there's even some stuff that she touches that was very very prominent in baltimore club that I don't even know if people touched on, but um, long story short, this is one of the first really great examples with that I'm too sexy in the background. And I, I automatically, without trying to my subconscious listening, that gives it this sexy Euro feel. And I love that about this song. This song sort of, I was sort of bored with the, the starting of the song first listen through until you get to that minute and 23 where unicorn is the uniform hits and then she bangs it this this track goes nuts after that um but after going back and listening to it it, it fit more and more um i guess once i knew exactly where i was going with this track but it's a really cool track i love listening to the way especially with a dance album you know this album over the past week i've talked about with more people than i usually do uh about the album that I'm doing for the week more so because I was around a bunch of people that I knew hadn't listened to the album and it wasn't in their wheelhouse. And I, I really love the way people take these songs so differently. It, most I'll say 90% is a very positive listen for anybody first time through with a couple of these tracks that I, I was throwing at them, but this one always had a good vibe and I, I love especially love hearing your take on this very very cool yeah that's how that's how dance music should be and and we're three in and this album has already made me feel its concept i shit man this takes me back to the days man the days every weekend dancing getting out there and getting done uh we used to go to a place even before we were 21 there was a place uh in a county not too far from us that sunday nights was under 21 get up there and, and dance your ass off this is back in the old days of baltimore club and and that that more uh club mix type of feel but i this album takes me back to that yes i i have a feeling that's what she was going for probably oh she, well, most I'm sure she was she, she she made a world pop dance album here and i'm not gonna get ahead but go on. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> Yes, but speaking of how dance music should be, I can't think of many better examples than this next song that we're going to discuss, Coffee. This one, 
This is just a pure disco funk throwback. Niall Rogers is on the song. And there's an interpolation of Ooh La 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 by Tina Marie, just like Fuji La from our friends, the Fugees. And she, and she runs the Fuji line off it. Ooh La La La, that's the way that I sound. And I can't remember the end of her shit, but yeah. you know, like that's real. Uh, yes. And uh, it's really cool because she kind of continues the vibe of the last song by still mentioning the space elements like, Bet you you'll see stars. Bet you you'll find out like this intergalactic stuff. I love that we're continuing that, but it's still its own unique song and stands on its own. It is just so fun and catchy. And Michael Wood of the LA Times described the song as ebullient disco fantasia. And that just says it right there. That's this song. It's an amazing dance song. And I never get sick of it. This is one I, this was one of my most played songs of 2022, and it will be this year too. I just adore this song. It's so fun and uplifting. It's just, I want to go where nobody's been. Have you ever had fun like this? This is pure escapist fun and just one of the best pure carefree dance pop songs I've heard in a long time. That's an understatement. This song is that shit. Yes. I mean, straight up and down. You want to talk about timeless? This is it's a, she has a classic on her hands. I don't care who you are. You want to talk about being under a rock? I'm out here this week putting this up like it's the goddamn single of the week, and people are like, "Dude, this is all over the radio. We heard this a million times." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." Where is did new. you put this up at? Uh, all over the place. I was at parties uh, for for a couple husbands that we we get together and do like a Christmas thing. Even I put it up to Jess, and she was like, "I've showed you this song before." I was like, "No, you haven't." She was like, "We've listened to this song before." Yeah, like, no, I would is... I would know if I listened to this song because it's so great. Yes, that this is the um second single from the album, and it was pretty immediately the album track that got the most attention. It charted the highest of the non-lead single songs, and it's become a top 10 hit. So yes, this is a hit, and this did right, very rightfully win Best R&B Song at the Grammys. It did. And somebody pointed out, this is lovely to think, too, this gave Tina Marie her first Grammy, albeit posthumously. And that's a wonderful thing, too, because Tina Marie is great. We'll have to discuss her one day on here more in depth. But yeah, that's the second time her name's come up. And uh, I, I I thought you were going to touch it. I'm glad you touched it on, on this. I have another, to. another time, though, you, you want to know you got gold on your hands. When Nile Rogers walks into the studio, his own words, and says, I did it in one take, and nobody even said anything, and we were all just like, yep, there it is. Like, that's that's how you know. I mean, I didn't even know he was in this. Here, here's my first listen notes. Party anthem exclamation point. Daft Punk vibes. Yeah. Beautiful West Coast sound. Horns give that funk ability to it, and the vocal harmonies are so unique and insane. Disco is back with an exclamation point. <laughs> and then at 309, we start to get that heavy beat that phases out into the next track. But that was my first listen through notes on this. That's how insanely glorious this, this track was, man. This track is now, I mean, it's in my Spotify run now, but it will be forever. This is that track, man. I don't oh. say that often, but you were right there with it, like, in a long time. I'm, I mean, Get Lucky might be the last time I heard something that was that on point that it automatically resonated with me to, like, smile ear to ear. Um, that might have been the last time 
that I can remember that that a pop song really was like, oh, that's amazing, amazing. Cuff. Yeah, this is. A, I mean, for me, this is a bit more recent, but the first since like 2020, and that's a while, I think, for me. So heard this one. This is everything we've said it is and more. <laughs> yeah, and there's something about hearing Beyonce say, "We're gonna fuck up the night." Yeah, that is so beautiful. Like you know the demureness of her but with that power but just it's like hearing a proper lady curse i don't know maybe, maybe i'm off base with that but for me it is so it has that much more edge to it because i don't expect to hear it, especially not in that beautiful harmony that it is saying oh no it's a brilliant juxtaposition it this is. is this is that song and it's definitely a good question of how do we follow this up and uh, it doesn't really follow with a full song it follows with an interlude of sorts called energy this features beam um this is <laughs> this one shook me a bit the first time because this is very much explicitly political she made it sound as if this was not going to be a political album and she mentions voting out 45s and when i heard the line because them karens just turned into terrorists i jumped back i was like what did she just say like, oh my goodness, but like, I knew exactly what she was referring to. Of course, we've seen that in this society recently, and it's horrible that that's ever happened, but she made a point, but um, yeah, I've always really enjoyed, this is just a nice transition, and we do need a bit of a calm down after Cuff It and going into the next song, but um, I want to touch on something else. So this song like several on the album was the subject of a bit of controversy. Um, originally, this song featured an interpolation of Milkshake by Khalees. And Beyonce did get permission from the Neptunes to use it, but not Khalees, because Khalees did not write the song, but Khalees raised the fit about it on Twitter and the interpolation was removed. Like my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Something that similar to that, yes. Okay, but that's the song that, that we're talking about here? Yes. Hey. But I'm I'm just going to say something. There's a few songs here that had these controversies. I mean, even Alien Superstar with Diane Warren making the tweet and Wright said Fred apparently didn't like that they she used it at first, but then they were okay with it. I have no doubt in my mind that Beyonce is great PR people, but all these, why are like five songs on the album controversial? It just seems a bit manufactured to me. Mm, see, I, I would have to say that it might be the other side where it's everybody trying to get on this this train, whether it be whether they have a right to be on the train or not. And and they become controversial tracks because they want to bitch about it. And that's just me on that. I, I don't know. I, I'm but, not sure. Well, if, my if, only question is... I mean, admittedly, Beyonce's more provocative than some of the other major artists out there, but why specifically this? Why not? I mean, the two albums that had bigger debuts, I didn't hear of five different songs on the album causing controversy. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, again, that could be said the same way that I was saying it too, you know? It's like, it's that big that people want to get on it. The other shit flew not as high on the radar, so it didn't get as many of the latchers on whether justified or unjustified yeah that's you, yeah I, I mean it's it, it's a statement that's true like why would you have five controversial tracks but 
We've we've had some other albums with some controversial tracks. Not on. this many, I don't think, and they're all small ones. Yeah, that's um, like there's uh, nothing on the level of like Darling Nikki controversial here. They're small ones. Heard. heard. That's that's kind of my point I'm trying to make here. But uh, enough about that. Um, we're gonna move on to the next song, which is the lead single from this album and the great transition. It's a um sample of the song Explode by Big Freedia that transitions these two songs into track six, Break My Soul. Yeah, this is a pure 90s house track, and this was announced as the lead single, and I listened to it, and at first, I liked the song, but I had an issue with Beyonce singing about quitting her job and working nine to five. I thought, Beyonce, you've never done that in your life. Don't talk like you're one of the working people, but my friend loved the song, and the more I listened to it, just the more it grew on me, and it was my most played song last year. I love this song. It's just pure 90s house goodness. The song it takes the most from is Show Me Love by Robin S. And, uh, I mean, just what a fucking song right here. This is Nostalgia Bomb City for me. I mean, this shit hit off, and it was groovers in the heart, in my, you know, like, era in my brain. I talked about the Baltimore Club aspect earlier, Show me love inside of it automatically scream Baltimore Club to me because that doom doobity boom 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 doobity boom 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 that's just something that that is rooted in my childhood in my in my musical adolescence and it's super deep in the Baltimore Club run back then um this song is a hot song man I love this song too, man. It, it's so many throwback styles in this crowded. I go back to that crowded dance floor feel, but that was in my notes. This is when I when I when I felt that feeling. Um, this really cleans that up here. This is a very clean track from the '90s, and we almost maybe even I'll go as far as saying this is a little bit of a palate cleanser on this heavier world world beat album. Uh, where we we get into that that really clear '90s uh, keyboard loops in this one. I, I this is definitely a nostalgia bomb, but I jam on this song hard. Yes, and speaking of dance floors, I do have an anecdote about this song already. So, I went to um, my cousin's wedding a few months ago, back in September, and being there, I knew if I'm going to be on the dance floor, I had to hear "Break My Soul." It just, it had to happen. And I went up multiple times to make sure it got played. And sure enough, it did. And my relatives did not join me in dancing on it because they didn't get it, I guess. But the, the folks I didn't know, they were right there with it with this one, as they should be. It's Break My Soul. And I told my mother the name of the song. She thought, oh my. I said, no, it's nice. It's You Won't Break My Soul. It heard. You know, another thing, and that's perfect because you're talking about in a live setting and a, and a DJ rocking this out. We go all the way through this album until this point. We even touch, go back to where we touched about the 24 uh, writing credits. But this, and especially here for me, is is really where the bell rung for me on this one. It's so, we go back to that concept of this dance, this nonstop dance floor concept. All of these artists, all these samples, all these thoughts really mimic to me the old school DJ's um, album crate and the the mass of tools that that DJ had to, to spin together and use um, to create these awesome experiences. And, and I, I so far, we've been on 
or in my opinion, we've been on a really awesome dance experience and it's just really reminiscent of that like old school DJ feel and I love it. I completely agree. And before we move on, I do want to talk about going into this whole old school vibe. There have obviously been several remixes of this song released, but there's one in particular I want to touch on. It is called The Queen's Remix. And uh, this remix actually contains excerpts of another classic 90s house track, Vogue by Madonna. No shit. And that's just so perfect with this concept because that's a song based on the whole queer ballroom scene. That's where she got the idea from. And to have it go in here, it just makes perfect sense. And I just, I really enjoyed that remix. It's over six minutes long. And Beyonce mentions a lot of the forebearers of the genre, but I really enjoyed that. And I do want to note that Upon the album's release, this became a number one hit for two weeks. I think it should have been number one for much longer than that. But at least it was still a number one hit. More than deserved, in my opinion. More than deserved. But now, oh, we are going to switch gears quite a bit up here. The song somewhat fits because we do hear mention of Salvation in Break My Soul, but... That's going to continue a bit into our next song, track number seven, Church Girl. (laughs) Um, This one has several samples, but the most notable is Center of Thy Will by the Clark Sisters, a gospel group. And uh, I have to say, this song uh, starts beautifully. It has that gospel feel, and Beyonce really does some great gospel-style runs. And then this song goes in quite a different direction than we're expecting it to when we get to that chorus, and it becomes a twerk anthem, for lack of a better word. I mean, drop it like a foddy. That <laughs> she did that. And oh boy, at first, I didn't care for this. When I first heard this, I was like, this started off so nice, and then we went into this weird thing. What why like it shouldn't work but this one grew on me it really did somehow and it just i her concept is about the religious culture it's like we're gonna let loose but we can still go to church on sundays and i think that's a good message to send even if she didn't do it the way i would have expected it her to do it but I can't help but hear this song and think of like my high school homecoming dances. This would have gone off at that. I totally agree with you there. <laughs> yes. It, it it speaks again. Uh, you know, we start off in this is beautiful gospel-esque type of thing. And and it, we we play to the irony of the church girl by the end with the drop it like a thotty. Um, I, I love how it plays for me. It reminded me of when I would go get a quick drink of water, uh, in a, in an all night, you know, dance situation. Um, and right when I thought that I'd have more time, you know, boom, the DJ or the artist comes in Beyonce here and, and flips it on its head and brings me right back, running to the dance floor. And I, I love how that's done. Um, we're, we're in a different it's not necessarily the world beats that we've been hearing so far either. And I, it, it really sticks for me along the lines, getting 
a little bit closer to that 90s, like almost in the 2000s. For me, the end of this song with the it reminded me of Wiz Khalifa's Black and Yellow towards the end. And I was like, okay, I love that we're doing this. Like we we're, we go back to that quote, you know, I said earlier, you know, the multi-generational, and we're really doing this multi-generational thing. She just had me all the way back in the 90s. And then we're slowly coming back up to what I feel like is a more a more nowadays beat uh, after this and, and throughout the album. So I, I enjoyed that about Church Girl too. Yes, and unsurprisingly, this probably wasn't a manufactured controversy because there's always going to be a religious figure who's upset about something. This one in question was Bishop Patrick Wooten called the song a piece of trash. It's like, well, of course a bishop's going to hate it, but... Did he elaborate on that or? Uh, I didn't see him really elaborate on it. Um, I'm, I mean, obviously, if you're a bishop or a priest, no, you're not going to like this. But Did there's you... a message there that that some just aren't going to look for, I guess or... I could say. Do you think it felt blasphemous or like any like uh, or no. even? No, I didn't either. I didn't either. I, I think bishop aside, I think that's a little bit of a harsh take on this one i didn't think there was any stuff inside of it that was like whoa 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 whoa! And we're talking about the church here see that's kind of part of my thing like some of this just doesn't seem all real to me because i hear the song and i'm thinking you really have to look hard to find something blasphemous here right. i think and right. you just have to pick your battles when it comes to that stuff i think if you're a church person like what do you truly consider offensive to your faith i don't think this is a it. Yeah, I, I I would say I don't either. I mean, um, I wouldn't play it for. I'm not saying I play it for my mom or whatever, but at the same time, I mean, I mean, yeah. come on, it's not quite Sam Smith and Kim Petras at the Grammys. People are pissed about that right now, but I don't know what you expected for a song called Unholy. But <laughs> one of yeah. my favorite things is to listen to Mix 106.5 and. You always hear a bumper for Archdiocese of Baltimore Catholic Schools, and then you'll hear Unholy not long after. <laughs> I just find that so funny. Oh, man. <laughs> always, always, always have. Something. Yeah. Oh, and then, and again, back to what we were talking about, always something, you know, people, people trying to jump up on that. I don't know, man. I got to disagree on that one. I'm with you. I'm with you. You got to be hard. You got to be super hard pressed. You got to be like Tipper Gore on darling nikki pressed on this one you know <laughs> yeah and even then yeah it's not as extreme as even darling nikki i don't think this one nah no nah. nah. we should be used to this by now but uh yeah anyway we are going to switch it off and go into a more sensual mode for our midpoint here track number eight Plastic Off the Sofa. This is the first song on the album without a sample, and it's produced by Sid of the group The Internet, which notably is the group that Steve Lacey was a part of. So, and we all know him now because of Bad Habit. So, um, this is the R&B slow jam of the album. Um, I've heard quite a few slow jams in my time. As for this, I don't feel like it completely takes me out of the album, but it's not it doesn't take me out of the album, but in terms of it as this kind of song, I think it's fine. I've heard better. I've heard worse. I think it does what it needs to do in that regard. 
But in the context of this album, I don't see it as a highlight at all. But that's just me. Uh, the Grammys disagreed this one best traditional R&B performance at the award. So there, there's something for you. But um, yeah, it's well sung, well produced. I just don't connect with it as much as some of the other stuff here. I, there's a lot of guilty pleasures in this song for me. And not in a negative way. Um, plastic on the sofa for anybody who doesn't know what plastic on the sofa even means back in the day your grandma or our grandparents or i don't even know if it happens anymore but back in the day to keep the sofa good people used to put plastic on it like i'm talking about a whole plastic cover zippered up to protect that sofa and that sofa is the best seat in the house per se you know what i'm saying I, my guilty, first guilty pleasure on this is I love the example of the, the love and the opening your heart uh, up against taking the plastic off the sofa. I think that's genius. I, I, that is all me. And she had me hook, line, and sinker as soon as I knew that that was the premise for this song. The lyrics are great. Um, and there's a beautiful bass groove on this song that I really, really enjoy. And the second guilty pleasure for me is I wanted to hear Beyonce sing. Like I wanted to hear that vocal range and that vocal masterclass that she can bring and that I know she has in her. And I really got to see that, um, especially in the mid to end of this song. She does some truly, truly masterful singing in this and I really enjoyed it um I didn't know that it won best R&B song and I think that's really says a lot for it because it's coming off the best dance electronica album um so that best R&B song coming off there I think that says a lot that I'm with you to this song almost didn't fit on this album very close now don't get me wrong they made it fit here but like you said it was the only track so far that has even made me stop fantasizing about the dance floor for a second but that being said i enjoyed it so much that i looked the other way on it um, that, is, yeah. that yeah. is fair you know i actually i realized this i think i know maybe the reason i disconnect is whenever i hear plastic on the sofa i think of everybody loves raymond heard that because <laughs> You know Marie had the plastic on the sofa, that there lady. There you go. Classic example of like the old archetype of the grandma putting plastic on the sofa. I love the the correlation of opening your heart to that, though, because if your grandma took the plastic off the sofa, she trusted whoever's butt was about to sit on it. And that 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 was a huge thing, you know? <laughs> I don't think my grandma took the plastic off the sofa for me. So... <laughs> But I think it's a genius, a genius uh, way to get your point across on the opening of the heart. <laughs> yes. But what I will say is this. I do think that this transition at the end of this into the next is definitely the best on the album because it is just seamless and perfect. And we get into track number nine Virgo's Groove. This comes from Beyonce being a Virgo. Her birthday's in early September. So that's her sign. Um, oh, this song. So this is kind of like a combo of both a slow jam and a disco song. And 
It works beautifully. And as for her vocals, I think this one has the best vocal performance of her on the album because there's just so many harmonies and parts to her performance. And it's powerful. It's seductive. It's everything that it needs to be for this song. And the groove, it's just the hypnotic groove. That might be a cliched thing to say, but it truly is. And uh, I mean, just this song just really does take me away. I've always really enjoyed it. Now, upon this listen through, I did find a couple of nitpicks. But the fact that I didn't know the sem until now, I think speaks to how strong the song is. I did find the bit about her motorboat and slow-mo coming out my blouse really corny. <laughs> I, I felt like, oh, I thought she was supposed to be like the coolest person, but that's just really kind of corny. But it doesn't take me out of the song. And also, this is just a quibble on my part. When I hear her singing these uh, songs, these sex songs, I don't feel like she's singing about her husband. Hmm. I, I just can't imagine her. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because it's Jay-Z, but I can't imagine her saying to Jay. Well, like, why would, I don't know why she would say baby come over to the man who lives in her house, but um, it's like, I just, I can't picture it. I picture some you picking somebody up at the club and you're like, baby, come over, come be alone with me tonight. That's the vibe I get from this. Not, not with Jay-Z, that's for sure. <laughs> Unless it's a weird role play fantasy, but. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe she's not singing about herself, but I I always took it as her singing about herself. Yeah, but uh, so I have to go there, and and it's Virgo's groove, and if if she's a Virgo, maybe maybe she's not just talking about Virgos as a whole, but more of herself. This one is a is a really well sung one, but for me, this is the one on the album that I'll use the words I'll use the words fell flat. It's not a it's not a shit song. It's not anywhere near. It's a great song, um, but it didn't stand out on its own as much as the rest of the album have. And maybe it's that I was coming off of Plastic Off the Sofa and I, I was relaxed, you know, um, throughout my listens. But this one, it was cool, but it was ne it's never one that really jumped out for me. Um, it didn't feel misplaced. And you're right. The segue into this song is oh, chef's kiss perfection. Um, it just, I don't know. It wasn't my favorite on the album. It was cool, but not my favorite. Wow. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you enjoyed this one. I'm kind of surprised to hear that. I'm not going to lie. That makes me want to go back. I mean, I listened to this album a lot this week, but I, I'll, I'll give it fair. another chance. I'll go back and listen to it. And now I'll go back to plastic off the sofa, maybe. <laughs> There's some good fucking lyrics in that song. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pay more attention. But uh, we're out of sexy time now with track number ten. We are, oh, we're commanded onto the dance floor for this one for yeah, a man. move. This features Grace Jones and Thames, who is a Nigerian singer. And I do have to say, it's pretty unique that this song actually does use African artists. We have a Nigerian producer on the song P2J and also Guilty Beats from Ghana 
So she really is using true authentic African sounds here, which is perfect with this concept because she wants to honor the Black roots of dance music. And a lot of those Black roots come from Africa. Um, there's a song called Soul Makasa. I'm not remembering who it's by. Some consider it the first ever disco song. And it was very famously sampled by Michael Jackson in one of these starting something. Amase Mamasama Makusa, that's where that comes from. So I thought it was really cool that she did that. And then to have a disco artist of her time, Grace Jones, show up also, it's the thing. But um, her presence is so commanding. When, I mean, when she says move out the way, you're going to move out the way when Grace it's, Jones says it. Great shit. Grace Jones could kick my ass. Yes. <laughs> I look yes. at her. I mean, she always has. Even if you go back to the old, like, uh, Beverly Hills cop days, Grace Jones is a presence, man. Just you, if she walks in the room, you're like, whoa, whoa. I mean, and then for her to come out on this album, that like come out for this album, that's monumental and speaks. I think she even said it. I'll, I'll, it's, I'm paraphrasing, so but she I remember said it. She rarely collaborates with other artists, but she did for this. Yeah. Kudos to her. I'm going to say this. This is maybe a nitpick, but I, I do think it's a valid point. Um, Because Grace Jones is so commanding, I've heard people mention this as like a great trio of women and... For me, it's Grace Jones's song. I agree there. She makes Beyonce sound like a guest on her own track. And I don't think Beyonce does a bad job on the song, but I know Beyonce has presence. She's shown that earlier on this album, that she has presence, and she will again. And maybe it's just that Grace Jones is so commanding, but may and maybe she wanted to defer the grace and let her have the moment here. I'm guessing that may have been the case, but... I, I like to see somebody wanting to step up a bit more in their performance if you're going to be in the room with somebody like a veteran like Grace Jones. That's where this song falls a bit flat for me. It's that one part of it is so high above the others. The others are fine, but they don't go up to that point and it doesn't all mesh together quite as well as it should. It's a perfectly fine song, but it's Grace Jones's song. It's so awesome that you say that because my first listen through i remembered it to be so insanely powerful start to finish and when i the second time i went back to listen to this i like scanned through it looking for the grace jones part because i was convinced it was right off the cut and it, beyonce's part is towards the start and it's very demure compared to grace jones on this track and i'm i'm with you wholeheartedly the i I love the world beat sounds on this. I love the really like banged out electronic African drums here. There's there's a group by the name of Tune Yards, T-U-N-E Yards. Uh, and they do a song called No Water in the Water Fountain. And they're they're a very percussion-based group, especially on the track that I'm talking about. Really reminded me of this track and, and how much I love this kind of sound a really neat one grace jones on top of this was the cherry on the cake um we're gonna talk about it in the next track but there is a performance by beyonce on the next track that if it could have been on this track with grace jones i think it would have fucking killed like if you actually could have put these two together 
I think it would have been more of a cohesive powerhouse. Um, but you're right. The Grace Jones on the end of this is a little bit overpowering. No, and you're absolutely right. I mentioned I know Beyonce has presence because of the next song precisely, which is heated. And credit-wise, this one uh, is co- one of the co-writers on this is actually Drake. Heard. And some of his producers are working on it as well. And I'm just going to say now, the rest of the the song, it's perfectly fine, but it's the outro that elevates it. Beyonce goes off. She takes on the whole MC vibe. She's like just going off. I mean, she says, Uncle Johnny made my dress that cheap spandex. She looks a mess. My favorite part of it's actually when she says, flip, flop, flip, flop, flop, the ass bitch. Yeah. I I wasn't convinced it was her. That's how powerful it was. It doesn't sound like her. Because they put her through the the process, not the process, they put her through the um, effect of almost like screaming out about a, a megaphone. Yep. And I love that. And then she harnesses her inner like, oh man, I don't even know what to call it. Like inner like Jamaican screaming dance hall uh power she she is that bad bitch by the end of this song like crazy and that's why i say if you put that up with grace jones from move and on the same track whoo that might almost be too much power but kudos to beyonce on this one because i literally was convinced that it was someone else it went back listened to it a bunch and i was like damn girl that is some powerful ass shit i love the way they did her on that track it's 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 a cool track but you're right until she hits off that really is the track for me uh, on on number eleven, heated like without that, track sort of falls short. But with that, I mean, not with that. That is the track. Like, shoot, fan it me, is. fan me off, fan yeah. me off right now because that shit is wild, man. She kills it. That's that bad bitch Beyonce, and I, I I love that. I thought that was awesome. Oh, so did I. And this was another one of the controversial songs, actually, because originally instead of blast, she said spaz and. I'm- I'm not, just, gonna, I'm not even going to get started on that one. I read that, that one and said, get the fuck out of here. Are you that's kidding That's just me? silly. Lizzo had to change the song for using it, too. It's like, that's not what they fucking meant. Come on. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know what? I'm not even going to give it any of my time. Shame um, on them. Spaz, yes. oh, come on. No, ugh, it wasn't even in context. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was nowhere near what they said, like, detrimental to... Um, mentally handicapped, like it's a mentally handicapped slur. Like for real, for real, that's the hell you want to down right now. Read the sentence, read the literal sentence, and then tell me how that has any. Oh, I'm sorry, I uh, my bad. I I, oh. I, I I felt like it had to be mentioned, but no, I feel are... and it and it did. It, it's perfect tea for this album. Yeah, it, it's you know you you. Uh, it it's it's those hangers on that that shit is like man. I hate giving it press. You know what I'm saying? I hate giving it press. I love that we talk about it, but I hate that it gets pressed to the point I, where where it's a topic that we're going to discuss on our fucking podcast. You and know? that's <laughs> why that's why I question all this PR stuff because it's like that's not news. That's just not news. Heard. It's that's silly. Yeah. It doesn't seem real. But fortunately, we're not going to give that any more time, and we're going to move on Here. to track twelve. Here we go. We're going to get Miami based with thick. Yeah, man. And. I mean, this is just, I love this sound so much. This is all about the sound. Lyrically, 
uh, could be better. I don't care about that. I. It's all about that. She says it in the song, 1996 Miami. She says it in the song, what she's doing. And uh, this just kills it. I I mean, just, whoo. Yeah. And the moment the song actually really stood out to me, it was not a full listen through for the album. It was when I was in an Uber and it came on the, my driver's playlist. And I heard this, I thought, you know, I didn't really notice this one before, but this is a banger. And now it's one of my favorites here because, yes. Yeah, I'm a disciple of old school bass. I mean, sitting in cars and trying to max out whatever we could, but bass tapes from back in the day. We'll touch a little bit more on bass tapes later on this album, but you're totally right. She calls it out. I had it in here too. She calls it out and does it. You know, we go to multi-generational again. Here's another, here's another album. Here's another vinyl inside of the DJ's crate here and it's 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 perfection in in its beat again i'm with you is it the the lyrics are okay but this song is a banger as far as i'm 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 still i'm sweating to you know almost to death at this point as far as dancing in 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 the concept of this album but i have you know not once what we we still haven't feel like sometimes the albums that are the strongest in pacing we don't necessarily touch on as much and and this has to be one of them for me but i'll touch the pacing right now and it, it hasn't faltered at all at all you know it really is a cohesive piece it's a cohesive concept and it's a cohesive dance set that i think if again if it was drop dark you'd be hard pressed to know this was a beyonce album you would think that this guy's spinning one of the most epic sets that you've heard in a minute. Oh yeah, absolutely. This one, just a killer. Yeah. Just a freaking killer. And uh, I also love the outro. I think it's a great transition to our next song, track 13, All Up In Your Mind. This is the song that's gotten the least attention on the album. It was the one that charted the lowest on the Hot 100. And uh, I think that's a shame, and I'm going to get into why. So there are two producers on this song that I want to mention. One is Blood Pop. We talked about quite a bit of his work when we did our Lady Gaga album, Joanne, and he did even more work with her on Chromatica. I think he does great work with her. So I feel good about that. But the main one whose touches on this song is a guy named A.G. Cook. And uh, he's most known for works in a genre called hyperpop. And his most well-known collaborator is Charlie XCX. And Charlie XCX is one of the pop stars that the indie kids like. It's okay for them to like her. And I have an issue with this kind of hyper-pop sound because I feel that sometimes they're so concerned with having different blips and bloops and making it experimental or whatever that it gets in the way of actually making a good pop song. Not everybody feels that way, but that is definitely how I feel. I mean, the case of Charlie XCX, I think, perfectly sums that up. She has great pure pop songs that don't go into this whole hyper pop stuff. So knowing that, I'm a bit skeptical of this because this isn't a sound I'm too crazy about. But surprise, surprise, I really enjoy this song. And nothing about it is lost. It is still a very catchy song that gets all up in your mind. (laughs) 
for what I can say. And this one was a grower. I didn't love it at first. I didn't really think anything of it at first. But now that I've heard it more, it sticks with you. And uh, yeah, I don't think it's the best on the album by a long stretch. But I did find myself enjoying it more and more with repeated listens. I'm, I'm the opposite on this one. This one makes me feel like a super old man. And I'll tell you why. I didn't realize it was called hyper pop, but this, I just can't find my spot in this genre. Now I give it the props of what I said before, we're going to go into some future sounds. This is a future sound for me. This is a sound that I I'm not acquainted with where I'm acquainted with it, but I haven't really found a love for it. In fact, it's very hard for me personally with, with, now I, I can use the word hyperpop because I know that's what it's called, but <laughs> the bass of these tracks is so over its high that it gives that distortion and almost sounds like it's going to break my speakers. And, and that kills me as a listener. It's, it's like, I, I, I don't know how to truly explain it, but I feel like an old man on my porch on, on this because oh. I'm like, I just can't get with this sound it just it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me the grinding bass on this just doesn't match up to like the way this track moves for me um again it's not a terrible track it's a future sound it fits this this cohesive uh styling that that we've been talking about and the pace throughout but and maybe it will be something that grows on me but as as far as right now it's just one of those sounds that that i, that I can't I can't get with. I don't I don't know why. I mean, I I'm with you on not getting with the sound. I don't like it. I'm going to tell you something right now. This is not even an extreme example of this sound. This is pretty watered down, I think, in comparison to some other songs. In comparison to, like, some of the Charlie XCX songs I heard, this is watered down hyper pop. Oof, well, then that's definitely not my genre. Yeah, or... um. Lady Gaga's Dawn of Chromatica remix album. It's a hyper pop album. That's way more extreme than this. Yeah. This is nothing compared okay. to that. I'm telling you right now. So I know what I won't be covering on here. Cause <laughs> heard, heard that. Heard that. But yeah, yeah, the sound not for me on this one. Yeah. This is one of the better examples and less overt ones, actually. So, oh, Heard that. Well, thank I mean, God. it takes getting used to even in this form. And I can't do much more than this when it comes to it. Heard. Say that right now. But uh, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now we are on to a song that by its title seems like it will be social commentary of some kind. But is it? The song is called America Has a Problem and it begins with a sample of a song called Cocaine by Kilo Ali, and that's the intro. It's America. America has a problem. And the background music in this reminds me of The Weakest Link. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I do, I do, I do. You're talking about the game show? Like, the, yeah, yeah, no, no, I feel you. I feel totally you. what it reminds me of, completely. Um, oh, that's my favorite part of this one. So, um, 
that this is definitely the gun to the head least favorite for me because it's she's talking about drugs, but she's comparing herself to drugs because she's just so addictive. And <laughs> I don't see how that's empowering for anybody but Beyonce. And uh, this is my issue with her at times because she's like, yes, I'm that bitch. I'm untouchable. I'm America's problem. And I don't like that attitude. There's no humility here. This just is way too braggadocious. I don't like that. I know some people say, oh, no, I love it. It's great. But I mean, it has a fine beat. But I just don't like this attitude, frankly. I don't. And I don't think it's in place with this album at all. I don't see how this is empowering to anybody. I'm not saying every song here has to be, but I don't think it really, in, maybe in terms of going into the futuristic sounds, maybe it's fits in here. But other than that, I don't see how this fits into the album that well. As far as the futuristic sounds, this one for me went back to the 80s bass tapes and more of like, okay. a, a, like a planet funk. That's how I knew where you were on the weakest link joint. Um, <laughs> but I actually took it the opposite way. And this is what I really love because I got the cocaine reference right off the cut. How can you not? Um, and then her saying that she was the drug, I thought, I thought more that she was saying that um, America's problem was getting addicted to stars regardless. Um, but I can I can see where you're coming from that that it would be they could be taken as 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 a brag as a like oh they're addicted to me but I had I had read it and and listened to it like she was saying our problem is that we're getting addicted to stars period or or celebrities period um, yeah but the as far as the track goes it's, it's I guess no it's definitely not gun to the head gun to the head for me would be um, all up in your mind. But this one is not a very big highlight. Um, almost at, at the 14 track, I say, hmm, did you need this one in there? It doesn't take away, but does it really add to the sound here? This is, to, and then if I go into concept, this is the end of the night. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to be like, all right, what time is it? It's, it's, uh, all right, it's one o'clock. We've, we've got about another hour and a half of dancing, but this one, I might take a rest on. Um, so not the strongest, but not the worst. Fair. Okay. I'm glad we guide the salt similarly as to how it fits here, at least, because yeah. I would have been disappointed if you thought this was a highlight. That's for sure. No way. No. But I did. I, I expected, I thought it was going to be some like, oh, here we go. America has a problem. Like I, we've made it this far on the album for me without going into stuff that I don't want to, think about when i'm dancing and number one is politics so when i saw the the title track for this i was like oh shit here we go damn it i thought we made it through this album thank god we did <laughs> uh, yeah and we we still have two more tracks to go believe right? it or not um so we have our penultimate track pure honey uh this one samples a few different songs one is miss honey by moi renee feels like by mike q and Kevin G's Prophecy and the song by a guy named Kevin Aviance that has a title I'm not going to repeat because it's a really bad word <laughs> that is actually offensive to some. So I'm not going to say it. Look it up if you're inclined, but don't want to offend our women listeners. Don't want to do it, possibly. So 
This one kind of is two songs in one, which you can kind of see. It's kind of like a medley with the slash in between the two things. Um, this is, I w- I'll say this now, this is definitely the most overtly drag gay song here, I think. With the samples, I feel like this very much leans into that drag culture. And it's not one I'm the most familiar with at all. I've never even watched an episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. That's where I'm coming from with experience in that. So um, I like, my favorite part of this song is really the disco elements in the honey portion. But this is a song that to me, it's not greater than the sum of its parts. It has really strong parts and ideas in it that I like and would go back to, but as a whole, it's not all the way meshing together for me, unfortunately. This one is one of the examples of that DJ feel for me. Um, In fact, one of the original notes I had for my first listen is spin that shit because it, it, it just seems like, you know, it, it definitely is two different songs or at least at the very least two distinct different ideas that we are mixing together ultimately on this full track i mean we start off with a dirty drum and bass and then we transition into how am i even going to say like a michael jackson-esque jam um that really takes us on the way out of this track uh i i i like i really like the second half of this track the most um and i mean i dig the whole track but i think the second half of this track is is my favorite part and i I definitely dig it i got yummy with an exclamation point in my notes too on this one because (laughs) it it, was you know it it was fun listening to the way they they use that word and went down with it um i I like this track Uh, especially at this point in the album um it was it was a bright note close to the end i i can see where you're coming from and i do think it's a good transition into the full-on disco that we get to close the album off which is a summer renaissance it's a reworking of i feel love which is one of the most famous disco songs ever donna summer and giorgio Moroder at their peak arguably uh i mean i think this is a strong closer for the album i enjoy it it definitely gets me moving my criticism if i have one of this i have to say this you use the foolproof sample the I Feel Love sample, it's overused, but it's foolproof. You can't go wrong with it. And in a way, that makes it hard to look at this objectively. This has kind of had to grow on me a bit on its own terms outside of the sample. But I can't, I don't know, to me, it's a bit too married to its sample. And that's not a bad thing because you're coming from such a strong source. But at the same time, I'm still kind of figuring out how does this stand on its own outside of it. I think it's going to take me more listens to get to that point for with me for this one. But I do think that it's a really strong closer and definitely gives off that end of the night club vibe for me. End of the night club vibe is, vibe is the perfect way to put this. Uh, and and I'm, I'm with you on that. Because for me, this is the whole album revisited. And just like a perfect end of the night uh end cap of a set you're really gonna go back and touch everything that was super hot throughout the night um a really great ender for this album um a bonus is that this is the third time throughout our whole entire podcast experience that we got a chance to talk about Giorgio Moroder and 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 Donna Summers but like Giorgio Moroder here that sound 
outside of that sample, I feel like the the way this really works as an ender is that full encapsulation of the album inside of this track. And I think that's strong and just shows the wherewithal that this album has had from the get go of knowing exactly what it is and playing to its strengths throughout and making a cohesive thought. I definitely hear you there. Definitely hear you there. And uh, now we've come to the end of our renaissance. And uh, what a journey it's been, I have to say. This was a really fun album to dive into. I thought, I'm very curious, what grade do you give this album? This one for me, I'm going to use a quote that I found by a uh, an artist, Sufjan Stevens, who said, the wizardry on this album is so awesome and frustrating for me as a musician, because even if you take her vocals out, I'm still obsessed. I'm intrigued by the engineering and the production that's going on and the harmonic relationship between chords. That was me listening to this album. I was so intrigued by it on a whole sense that I'm not going to go as far as Stevens and say that without Beyonce on it, um, I'm still super obsessed because she's an integral. This is her album and she's an integral part of it. But it was a very, very awesome album as a musician and as an objective listener. Uh, and on that note, alongside of all of the beauty throughout this album and its concept as a whole, I give it an A. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go for now. This could change. This is one that's had to grow on me, but I'm A minus. Just because there are a couple songs that I think aren't greater than the sum of their parts. Uh just for me and a, a couple fillers too, but overall I completely agree with what you said and it truly is an impressive concept album. This is a full, complete album. It is a journey through dance music, through these roots that she's chosen to look at for us and I just have so much respect for it and it was bold of her to do this. This is a world famous star who sells out stadiums and she did this bold sound that nobody expected her to do. And she could have just played it safe and not done it, but she didn't. And I have so much respect for her for that. Yeah. And uh, now we're at the point where it's time to address that big elephant in the room about the Grammys. I'm ready to at this point. So what's your favorite track before we hit the Grammys? Okay. I I'm going to say Coffin. I'm with you. I'm yeah. with you. It was very tough on this one, though. It was. But, but Cuff It is, is a classic, I think. Already. Already a classic. Yep. But <laughs> but that all being said, so yes, we both are on the same page that this is a really strong album and a complete beautiful concept. And uh, with the Grammy nominations announced, I think a lot of people were thinking this album's so acclaimed, people love it. She's going to win album of the year. It seemed like it was time and there had been so much controversy over her losing for both the self-titled and Lemonade. I mean, the Lemonade one, Adele pretty much spent her whole speech talking about how much she loved Beyonce and Lemonade. That yeah. was her speech. Her and there was so much flack over it and people calling it racist. And I just thought, 
Yeah, Beyonce is going to win this year. And she walked out of the night winning more Grammys than any artist in history. This She did not win this award. This award ended up going to Harry Styles and his third album, Harry's House. And uh, I, watching it, my heart did sink a little bit. I like Harry Styles. I think Harry's House is a good album. But this is such a complete, beautiful concept that even in the moments of this album that I don't fully love, I have to respect it at least. And that's why this felt like such a disappointment to me for it to not win this album of the year. What I know it's just an award. It's not an indicator of true greatness completely, but I did feel a lot of disappointment upon it. And that's no disrespect to Harry Styles. It just is what it is. I have to ask you though, with it being a concept, and it being such a strong dance forward dance album concept, do you not feel that it was more akin to the award that it won as far as being best dance electronic album of the year? Or do you think that it truly warranted an album of the year? I'll have, I'll start by saying, I think that from what I know of the album. And now I have to preface this by saying I haven't heard every other album for album of the year. So I'm not, Neither this have not I. yeah, this is not on a judgmental side, but seeing that it won best dance and electronica album, I have to say one very deserving, yeah. but two, I think that might've been the more deserving of the two awards for this album. What do you think? I, I think that's a fair point. However, her winning that award, it kind of almost felt like a technicality because you see the other nominations. None of them had the profile or acclaim of this album. I saw the nominees. It's like, yeah, obviously that's going to win. That's a shoo-in. That's just like almost a formality. It's like, oh, you have to submit the album for a category before you, in addition to album of the year, you have to do that. And no, this isn't an R&B album. It's not a pop album. Dance is the category for it. And it rightfully won that award. And I thought she gave a beautiful and humble speech. And she thanked the people that mattered. She thanked her uncle Johnny, who's with us in spirit, according to her, and her family. And I, she, she was emotional doing it. And I felt that it was very real. She seemed genuinely moved to have won the award. And you could tell that she, in that moment, really put her heart and soul into this album and really wanted it. But The continuing narrative with this Grammy situation is the fact that Beyonce has continually won these category awards. But she's been nominated for the big four awards a total of 18 times, and she's only won one time. And this year she got three three of the four nominations. Break My Soul was nominated for Best for Song of the Year and Record of the Year. And, uh we get to this point of there are, I think, valid points in this discourse where do the Grammys have a representation problem? I think they do because I looked into this and a Black woman has not won album of the year since 1999. That was the miseducation of Lauren Hill. A Black man did win the award last year, John Batiste, but it was the first person of color to win that award in 14 years. And I think that there is this discourse of the Grammys are saying, we're committed to equity. We want to have more representation in our show. And then they don't give it to a very deserving album, in my opinion. I'm not saying that this album 
should just be given to be for representation purposes. This is a great album. And to me, I did not hear every album, but one of the albums I did hear was Harry's House. And it's a perfectly strong album. But does it reinvent the wheel in the way that this does? Is it a concept in the way that this is? No, not at all. And that's my issue with it. It's a perfectly fine listen, but it's not going to make you think critically in the way that this one did for me. It's not. And that's what art does. Art is supposed to make you feel and think differently on that critical level, whether you like it or not. And that's why this loss is so disappointing to me, because this is a true album in a way that I haven't heard in a long time, I don't think. And that's and I do think that some of the criticism being directed at Harry is unfair. And I thought his speech was very gracious. He said, I've been inspired by every artist who was nominated for this award. He's getting flack for a comment he made, but it's being misinterpreted and I'm not okay with that. And it was very rude, of course, for people to shout that she should have won while he was speaking. That is not okay. That happened. That did happen. And wow, that that part of this discourse, I am not okay with. And it seems pretty specific to I hate to say it, it seems a bit specific to Beyonce because we've twice had Kanye West in the past interrupt Jeez. people or attempt to for Beyonce not winning an award. And that is my issue with the Beyonce discourse because this is an incredible album. I'm not going to take anything away from it, but we cannot put it so far up on a pedestal that we're going to discredit others and their work. Because I'm not even going to say Harry doesn't deserve the award. I'm not going to even say that. But in comparison to this, it's just not as strong or unique or of daring as an album. That's really my only point with this. And I do feel strongly about this is a loss and it's not fair at all, but it is what it is. And we need to, I think everybody needs to that's talking about this needs to do some soul searching, both the Grammys in terms of what they're looking at and these internet talking heads in terms of uh, what they're saying. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, that is a very, very valid point. Um, I would, I would like to think that she cringes every time somebody yells that she should have won instead. I, I got to believe that she hated when Kanye did that shit. Oh, she did. She made that clear that she didn't like that. Yeah. Um, shame. I mean, that's bad sportsmanship, period, all the way across the board. I mean, the people that are filling those halls are are top-level musicians in their field, so shame on anyone inside of there thinking that that's a proper place for that kind of outburst. Um, that's my opinion on that. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I, I you know, I, I know you dove into it as far as the representation goes. I, I am not versed enough to speak on that, but it's something very interesting, something that uh, that I will look into. Um, and, and if if that's the case, hopefully it changes because there is no place for that inside of our, our of our world either. I completely agree, and a lot of it does have to do with the fact that. Hip hop's not my go-to genre, but it is a big part of our musical landscape. And I think only one or two hip hop albums have ever won album of the year. And that's just not reflective of our culture. 
Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, back think. back then you had different shows that were that were focusing solely on those on that genre. You know, well, um, this I is mean, true, but none of them have had the prestige of the Grammys. Yeah, Source Awards probably the closest. Fair. Um, yeah, man. Ooh, that's hey, shit. That's an episode right there. I'd love to talk about that for seven, eight hours. That's real. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into. I'm looking in at, and uh, it's very interesting to me. I think there's some valid points being raised, but we also need to show some respect and not put down other people for winning an award. That'd be a really cool roundtable discussion uh, with some guests. I, I completely uh, that, that agree. Would be, that would I, be a um, super awesome one. I'm very interested in doing that, actually. I really would like to, yeah. in the future, dive more into these topics because this one really got me thinking a lot about what this means for our culture. Yeah, that, that'd be cool. I'd love to do that. I'm very interested in doing that at some point down the road. But it's not going to be next week because we have an album suggestion that fits this theme. There we go. We're back to the Super Bowl halftime. Yes, Here we, we are. go. And it is the woman who will be headlining at this year's show, Rihanna. Her first performance in five years. She is returning to the stage. So that will definitely get some people talking because another one of the big pop stars of this century, for sure. Well, I can't wait to see her. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, my friend from Virginia, Jill Bechtel, one of the best supporters of this podcast, suggested a while ago that we discuss her monumental 2007 album, Good Girl Gone Bad, which really was the album where Rihanna became the force that she is to this day. That was really the true breakthrough where she became a household name that you will always remember. And I'm very interested in looking back at this one. We're going to be going back to the 2007-2008 and... uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a fun one. It's one I haven't listened to all the way through in a while. So I'm curious to see how it holds up. Let's get at it. Thank you, Jill. It's definitely one I don't think I've ever listened to all the way through. But I love me some Rihanna. So let's check it out. Who who doesn't? Especially then I loved Rihanna. Hell yeah. Or a bit after, more accurately. But we'll get into that. But until then, uh, just stay tuned for that. And um, follow us wherever you're listening to us. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on all of them. And also follow on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts for updates on newest episodes. Uh, Lots of good stuff. Thank you for doing this one with me. I think this was one of our best episodes yet. I had a lot of fun doing this one. Yeah, this is great. This is great. I, uh, Like I said, I, I always enjoyed Beyonce. I, I was in a little bit of a stasis with her, but I, I, I'd say thank you to her as well uh, for, for giving us this romp through all types of generations and uh, and genres here. It was, a, it was a cool one. I agree with you. One, one of my favorites. Definitely. So until then, we'll see you under the umbrellas. That's the best good girl gone bad reference I can think of. (laughs) There you go. Ella, Ella. Peace.